0: we back in Ephesians after our little Resurrection Sunday break. Uh, Ephesians 4, let's go ahead and open a prayer as we open the Word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you just to anoint this time as we look at your Word. Give us what you would have us to hear from you on this day. And we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know how far I'm going to get along on here. I'm going to read through the rest of this chapter so a lot but it almost has to be taken together so we're going to see what god does Ephesians chapter 4 starting at verse 17. this i say therefore and, and testify in the lord that you henceforth walk not as other gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of god through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being be in past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversations the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and remove in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after Christ is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put in away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are the members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that, in the, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. This is a long section, but it almost all has to be taken together because if we break it up, we leave pieces that aren't there. First he starts, hence for a therefore. And one of the, one of the pastors that I listen to, he says, whenever you read therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for? And we've had a three-week gap, so we're going to go back and we're going to look, what is it there for? Uh, we talked about, we've been talking in the past about we are one body, we are unified we are a new creation basically and this is what he has laid the foundation for before he gets to this section so we just want to remind everybody what we've covered uh before so he says therefore and i, I say therefore and testify the lord that henceforth you walk not as other gentiles in the vanity of their mind paul is telling us that we as christians that are unified together we're not to walk like the world and I love what he says the vanity of their mind, the emptiness of their mind. Can you remember back when you, before you were saved, the, all the emptiness that, that you went through? You're chasing after things that didn't go, that didn't bring you to God. You ch- you know, everything you did was, was worthless. <laughs> it's funny sometimes talking to people who are not Christians and they go, Well, I can just do things by myself, you know, I can be good the well, question is, so what? God says that all our, all our righteousness is filthy rags, so no matter how good we think we're being, and God says, so what? And he says, we're not to walk like the world. Why? Because God wants people to look at us and say, these are his children. They represent something different. And Paul is going to go into this and, and talk about a lot of these, and we're going to look at these things. He says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. This is a pretty strong language. When you're not saved, you're dealing with your heart being blinded. And he says he starts with darkness. And darkness is literally the, the lack of light. And light is understanding and, and doctrine and truth. They're being blinded because they don't know truth. And they're not seeking after the truth. Once we come to Christ, we start giving the truth. And he starts shining the light into our life. This is why we encourage, read the Bible. Come to Bible studies. Talk to other Christians about God. Get more and more of his light working in your life. You can't get enough of it. And we've shared the, the more you walk with God, the more light he's going to pour into your life. And we see this. Those of us who've walked with him for many years, we, you know, people look at you and say, well, you've got your whole life put together. And we look at our life and say, boy, I've got a lot of places yet to go. There's still a lot more to go because God has put more light in our life. And it's amazing. We, we will never be perfect in this world. You know? And it's kind of funny when you talk to people who, who look at your life and say, well, you've got it all put together. And you know, we don't and never will. Maybe, I, maybe we've got our outward life put together. <laughs> we God is saying, you're not thinking quite right. You may not be acting on what you're thinking, but I want you to get your thoughts right. And this is important for us. How easy is it for us to act on our thoughts? <laughs> If you're a worrier, and you go, I'm not going to worry. You know you're not supposed to worry. God says, cast all your cares upon him. And yet your thoughts are always whirling with worry. (laughs) If If you're somebody who has a problem with different areas, the more you think about it, the more you keep it alive. We handed out the slip today about forgiveness. And the very first part says, you're to not think about what that person has done. the people tell me well it's very hard to forgive and forget it's not hard to forgive and forget if you stop dwelling on what they did every time you dwell on what they did you intensify the feelings again and you bring them right to the forefront of your mind and God says cast away all the imaginations of your heart that come against him so where do we think? What do we think? Jesus said, out of our heart, we speak. And it's not hard to tell where people are with God and with their life. Listen to them. Listen to what they say about other people, what they say about life, what they say about themselves and others. And You'll find out very quickly where they are. Not to judge them, but you find out. Now, do they hold bitterness against people? Are they angry at people all the time? Are they speaking kind things? The greatest thing you can find is somebody who says good things about people behind their back, when nobody else is going to know what they said. And that's important. Watching, having our hearts lighten with this understanding. And it says, being alienated from the life of God. The more we're taken in darkness, the more we're going to be alienated. Separate from God. Made enemies to him. Even when we live as a Christian, we can have our lives darkened and have separation from life. And when we start getting that calloused heart toward God. You know, coming to church can be one of the best places to get a hard heart toward God. Because you hear about him all the time in church. And if you don't live the way that he's asking you to live, you can get very hard toward God. Talk to some people who've gone to church all their life and don't seem to look or live like God because they're not applying what they learn. They're just hearing it. (laughs) They're hearing it and forgetting what they hear. And then Paul goes on, who said their past feelings have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness now lasciviousness is a very hard word <laughs> that means they've given themselves completely over to wrong now many people don't get that far as Paul's describing here to be totally there but most of us have come in contact with somebody somewhere who seems to be giving themselves over that direction have you met somebody that every time they open their mouth they lie you know, they just can't help themselves it seems like they lie they're bitter toward everybody they're angry toward everybody they're vicious toward everybody. You know, people if they're bigot, you know, strong enough maybe they're passive aggressive trying to destroy people's lives Paul says it's because they're turning away from him away from God they're moving away from God and they give themselves over completely to the world and think nothing of it in our day we hear this uh, craziness that there is no such thing as absolute truth you know, and because there's no such thing as absolute truth they think they can do whatever they want supposedly but if they have not seared their conscience they know right and wrong they, they know that there is truth they know that there is a right and wrong out there they just don't want to accept that God is the one that gives it to them and I love people who used to tell me there's no such thing as that absolute truth because I gave them right back the, the reflective saying, are you absolutely sure? And because the statement in and of itself is a fallacy. It's an absolute truth that there is no absolute truth is what they're telling you. And they're trying to justify living against God, living in the wrong, state, wrong lifestyle against their conscience. And you know what? It's real easy to prove that they don't even believe it. You know, and I used to do this in college. I, somebody would tell me, well, I don't believe in absolute truth. And I'm going, You really? Is that true? They go, yeah. I go, okay. And I grab their keys and walk away. And I go, What are you doing? And I go, well, I gotta go sell a car that I just got. And I go, you can't do that. I go, why not? It's wrong. And I'm going, you just told me there's no such thing as right and wrong. I don't have a problem with it. Then throwing back their keys, you know, because it's you know. But people instinctively know there's right and wrong. It's not a question of is there. They know there is, even though they're trying to lie to themselves to say there isn't. And that fits what Paul says. They've given themselves over to lasciviousness and to wrong with greed. In verse 20, it says, Paul goes on, but. You all know I love those words, but, because he's changing topic. (laughs) He's going that you had not so learned of Christ as Christians we have a different way we've been taught we may think uh, initially the way the world thinks but God says I'm going to change I've changed you and that Paul goes into a whole list of things he goes if and this really should be his sense since so that you have heard of him and have been taught of him as the truth of Jesus so he goes you've heard of him You've been taught and it's true. This is why we get into the Word of God, because the Word is true. And you know, it's not true because it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible because it's true. <laughs> but, so never get into this, you know, how many people sit there and go, Well, prove the Bible is true. Well, I can prove various aspects of the Bible, but that's not the issue. Because I can tell you you waste your time if you try to prove to them the Bible's true. Because usually they won't accept it anyway if they really truly want to check it out I will challenge them you go check it out try to disprove something because when they tell you the Bible's full of errors my favorite question is tell me one and they'll almost always tell me well you know I just heard that there's lots of errors in the Bible tell me one of them don't tell me what others have said Don't tell me what you think is in there, but tell me one error that you think is there. I've studied it for a long time. There aren't any. I have not found one in 44 years. There's some that may look like errors at first, but they're easily explained away. They'll they'll tell you, well, the Bible has been around for so long. It's got so many changes. You know, we have a very accurate book. Do you know there's over 30,000 ancient pieces of Scripture? Now, we don't have whole ones, but even the ones that aren't whole have multiple books in them. Okay? We know what the Bible said in the original text with very strong assurity because... Do you realize that when we, you read Shakespeare's plays, we have no play of Shakespeare written in his own hand, and that's just a couple hundred years ago? We have no play of his in his own hand. Even in the next closest Greek text, the Iliad and the Homer, uh, Homer there's only a couple hundred texts out there, and they're two and three hundred years after he lived. The Bibles are... Texts that we have are within a hundred years of Jesus' life. We can be trust this word. It is truth. It is accurate. We know that it's accurate. And Paul is saying, You've been taught God and you have His Word. You know the truth. How do we know the truth? Because we get into His Word. We get into the Word. We let the Spirit teach us. We let God come into our life and explain this to us. And what does this do? Paul's gonna go on. Because you have put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful deeds, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We've put off the old man. And we've shared this before. Our flesh loves to do wrong stuff. We all know that it does. And God says, we've put it off. We've removed it. And this word, put off, means we've cast it away. Unfortunately, it keeps coming back. But he says, how do we get over it? We renew our mind with the word. We learn the word. We get into his word. His word changes us. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, we are changed. It doesn't come quickly, usually. God will find something in your life that usually... When you get saved, He will change something in your life very quickly. Usually, whatever the worst part of your life is, He'll change quickly. But then it's study. Read. Learn. Wash your mind with God's Word. And When you start doing that, it's amazing how all of a sudden you get ready to do something. And all of a sudden the Spirit goes in, uh, we've, we've read that in the book, don't, don't do that. And of course we have a choice at that time to be obedient to God or be obedient to the flesh. But hopefully you have been there at some point, you're getting ready to do something and you're going, no, I can't do this. No, I can't say this. I just can't because God is there changing us. And it says, it's put off our former conversations, our way of life, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts we have that desire we have a desire to say bad things about people we have the desire to say hateful things to people we have the desire to hurt people with our words and God is saying speak kindness edify one another build one another up there's no reason to tear people down Number one, they have enough trouble tearing themselves down, probably. And all of us do the same thing. We do something wrong, and we start really feeling bad about ourselves. You know, we need to learn to forgive ourselves as well with the same steps that we forgive others with. Quit thinking about what we've done wrong. Because Christ put it under the blood. He died for our sin, put it under the blood, and says it's forgiven. You go, well, you don't know what I've done. Well, everybody's going to say the same thing. You don't know what they've done. No, they don't know what I do in my mind. And God still forgives, He still loves because it's paid for. We as Christians have the greatest opportunity to have wonderful peace with God because He's paid for the sin. We need to dwell on what He's done for us, not what we've done wrong. It's forgiven. Why do we want to go dig it, go around the grave, dig up what, what we've done wrong, try to wash the blood off of it that Jesus shed for it and carry it around with us. He has forgiven us. He keeps us. And we need to be dwelling on what he has done for us. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, we are renewed after God and created in righteousness and true holiness. We need to learn the way God looks at us. God looks at us, and what does he see? If you're in Christ, he sees his son. If you've accepted the gift of salvation that Jesus paid for, he sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks at us. Because if he saw anything else, he wouldn't be able to deal with us. Satan wants to keep reminding us about who we think we are. And God, when when we come to him, has said, from the court of heaven, you're perfect. In God's perspective, when we come to Christ, he says, you're perfect. Do you know that people will live up to what they're expected, what people think about them? We worship God. He says we're perfect. We will work hard to try to be who he says we are. And I've seen these psychological studies with people have been, you know, a lot of times it's teachers and they'll be told this student has been specially tested, they are super intelligent, usually there's no test involved, they just tell them these three or four students are really special. You know what? Those students almost always <laughs> do very well that semester because of the expectation of the teacher. I found it out to be true even in, in, in management I'd, I'd hire somebody thinking they were going to be really good or I'd hire somebody thinking well this is just a fill-in and you know what even though I didn't consciously treat them any differently they were what I expected them to be and I'm not saying I was a great interviewer I just it's just the way it is we in, very subtly treat people different if we expect good things of them God expects that we're going to live up to what he says we are. He says we're perfect. How will you live knowing that God says that about you? Will that affect the way you live? I believe it will. When Satan comes and he accuses you, oh, what kind of Christian are you? You do this, this, and this. Say, yes, you're right, but I'm forgiven. I'm perfect in God's eyes. Defeat his attack. Don't dwell on your weaknesses. This is what Paul's saying. You are a new creation. You are righteous. You are holy. Now it's going to take us a whole life to get there, but I've said it before. Look over your life. Are you getting there? Look back over the last couple years. Are you more like God today than you were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? We need to let him change us. We need to really truly understand who he says we are. And this is where Paul's at. He's talking about, he goes, wherefore put in, in verse 25, wherefore put in away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Lying lips. (laughs) The flesh likes to lie. It does. Have you ever caught yourself lying to somebody and there's really not even a reason to do it? You know, you're just trying to make yourself look a little better in some situation. You know, I used to used to find this when I would do have conflict between two employee employees, and you'd get them in and you, you'd listen to both sides of the story, and you're wondering who's telling the truth because both sides couldn't be right. And you know, usually, when there's a conflict, people are acting on what they think the truth is. A lot of times, sometimes they're lying on purpose. Sometimes they're lying just to make themselves look good you know this person said something that triggered the person's action and, the, and that person actually did the action but it was really the person who said the you know who said something stupid in the first place but they don't tell you what they said they just say this person came after them you know we need to be careful it is so easy to lie and humans have the capacity to lie to ourselves well, I'm, I'm really not that bad, I'm better than most, so I'm really, I'm okay with God. <laughs> and God's saying, no you, no, you need to repent, you need to correct yourself. Well, I'm, I'm better than most people, I'm okay. Yeah. And who do we look at when we say we're better than most people? We're not gonna look at the people that are better than us. We only look at the people that are, that we think aren't as good as us. We lie to ourselves all the time. And God is saying, live truthfully. You know, we're studying in numbers. And God's definition of truth is just speak what you know completely. Not to admit bits and pieces. You know, I, I've said this before. It's amazing to me when you go to court and you, you're going to be sworn in as a witness, you're, you, you swear or affirm to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And if you've met with a lawyer before that, they say, don't answer anything but what they ask you. So you're not even telling the truth, and you're being told by a lawyer to lie. Okay. And technically, he's not looking at it as lying. He's looking at just don't tell everything that you know. And God says that's a lie. So the world has this definition for truth, which isn't close to God's definition. Does that mean you say things in a way that's going to hurt people? No. But you're not to lie. We're not to, you're not to give half a story and make somebody look better than they, than they really were. And it says we speak the truth. Why? Because we're one. We're one with each other. Then he goes on, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. How easy is it to get angry and, and sin? No. How hard is it to be angry and not sin? But God doesn't want us to be angry, so be angry and do not sin. there is a place for anger. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time for anger, a time for for peace. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There are times when anger is justified. Jesus, when he was in the temple throwing over the money changers, was not going, "Oh, this is okay." you You know, I'm throwing out. He was angry why was he angry they were turning God's house into a den of thieves okay there is a place for anger a lot less than we as humans think but there is a time when anger is the right response if somebody is hurting another person anger is an appropriate response as long as you don't sin I another personal opinion that it's very hard to be angry about something done to yourself and not sin because you're trying to defend yourself and anytime you start talking about I and myself you have some problems to begin with but he says Paul was saying there is a time to be angry and I'm sure he was thinking of Jesus throwing out the money changers and and different actions that had happened but the hard thing to do is when you're angry to not sin because anger is a very strong emotion, and oftentimes we'll go too far. And we want to be very careful with that. And then he puts on this little tag and make no place for the devil. The word place in, in the Greek is topas, and it literally means to map out an area for the devil. How many of us have mapped out a place for the devil in our life? God, I want you to clean up all the parts of my life except this part. I like this sin <laughs> you know or or that sin i 'm giving you all the rest of my life, but you can't have these little areas that i 've marked out for the devil. only problem with marking out a place for the devil he doesn't stay in that place he doesn't say okay I got him I you know uh you know, they're gonna, they're gonna have lustful thoughts, I, you know and that's the only place I'm gonna get, no, those lustful thoughts are gonna be amplified, <laughs> and he's gonna move out on those areas, and he's gonna try to get us to act on those lustful thoughts. He's gonna get us to talk about them. He's gonna, you know, Satan is a strategist. He does not just stay in one place. If you were in a, if you were in a country at war with something, you go, okay, we're gonna let the enemy have this little town in the middle of my country. And you expect that enemy to stay in that town, they wouldn't do it. Not if they're a true enemy that you're at war with. They're going to use that as a beachhead to come out and attack you all the time. You know, the country that where that person is at calls them terrorists and, and, and rebels. And they're looking at it as, well, you've given me this town, it's mine. God does not change, which makes it easy for us to learn. Okay. Satan doesn't really change either when you look at what he does. He does the same thing over and over and over again. All the false religions out there that we have, none of them are new. They're retreads of everything that's always happened. They all have their basis in Nimrod and Babylon. All of it has the same tread. And it's always the same thing do good and be happy with the the deity. Whatever that good is. Now, they may redefine good. They may redefine the deity. But it's all the same thing. Jesus says that we're to know him. What is different about Christianity? It's a relationship with God. If you don't know God, you need to look at your life and say, am I in the faith? And Paul tells us that examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Do you know God? If you're living on a set of rules, <laughs> I've got to do these whatever number of things it is in your rule book and I'm going to be okay with God. You need to analyze Do you know God. Because Jesus told us in John 7, 3, this is eternal life, that you know the Father and the Son whom He has sent. Intimate relationship with God is eternal life and the salvation. Which is also why it's easy to walk with God. Because it's not a bunch of rules. It's just getting to know Him. And the more we get to know Him, the more He's going to change us. Wonderful life that we have. It's not follow these hundred rules and you're going to be okay with God. It is let the Father just kill crucify your flesh and live through you. And we become like Him. We become what we worship. We become like God. And the more He's in us, the more He's living out of us, the more we're going to be like Him. The more we're going to be truthful, the more we're going to be kind, the more we're going to love people. The more we're going to be forgiven. Forgiving. (laughs) Because He is forgiven. He is loving us. He is showing us who He is. And we get to give that out to other people. Not because I'm trying to, but because that is who I am becoming. Because he is crucifying the flesh and making me more and more like him. And we get to be more like him. And people see the difference in our life. They will be drawn to God as well. And this is why it's so precious to be a Christian. It is easy to be a Christian as long as you're not trying to follow these big rules that have been given to you. And then he goes, let him who stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. So Paul's getting very practical in these discussions. He's going, if a thief gets saved, let him stop stealing. We can, we can apply that even further. If a liar gets saved, they should stop lying. If a, you know, somebody who is angry all the time gets saved, they should stop being angry all the time. This you know, this Paul is not trying to give every possible sin in this list, but it is applicable to every sin. If you have a sin that is besetting you that you just can't seem to get victory over, give it to God and stop doing it. You know, make it a habit to stop doing it. Don't excuse the sin. Now, how many times does somebody come up, you know, they're... They get, they're an angry person and you'll hear them say something like, well, it's my Irish blood. <laughs> you know, I'm Irish, I'm just, you know, we're an angry people. Well, quit excusing it and say that it's a sin. Satan is working real hard to give us reasons to sin and excuse them. We look at something like alcoholism. It used to be called getting drunk. Now it's called alcoholism and it's called a sickness. And you'll hear people go, well, I'm just an alcoholic. I'm sick. God calls it sin. I'm sorry. The world may say it's a sickness, and yes, there has elements of sickness. But God says it's sin. You know, well, I'm just a pathological liar. I just can't help myself. That's what the psychologist tells me. I just can't help lying because I'm a pathological liar. Sorry, God doesn't agree with you. He calls it sin. You know, I'm just uh, addicted to sex I can't help myself I I just have to do it and psychologists will agree with you that you're addicted to it God calls it sin Satan is trying very hard to redefine sin as sickness why because if you're sick you can't be held accountable for it and God says it's sin and it's very interesting if you look at the list of psychological ailments a good majority of them, God calls sin. Now, I'm just a kleptomaniac. I can't help myself. If I see it. I've got to pick it up. No, God says it's sin. Stop. We need to be able to admit to ourselves that we're sinners. Because until we are ready to say, this is a sin, we're going to make excuses for what we do. And it's very important that we stop and say, God says it's the sin, I'm going to agree with him. Does that make it any easier to stop? Not, not necessarily, but at the same time it does. Because I've acknowledged that it's sin. I'm not trapped in a habit, I'm not trapped in a sickness. It's sin, once I start recognizing it as sin, and God says stop, it's not easy, but it is easier to stop. Because it, we're still gonna make it, you know, we're still gonna say it's difficult. When you're addicted, it is not easy to stop something. And all sin is addictive. It doesn't matter whether it's drugs or alcohol. All sin has an addictive nature, otherwise we wouldn't keep doing it. We get something from it. Some pleasure, some, some level of, of desire that is being fulfilled. All sin is addictive to the flesh. And that's why Jesus said, "I need to, your flesh needs to be crucified, and now you live through him. And it'll take time for some sins to be gotten over, but do not excuse it as, as, sin, as, as I'm just addicted or I'm sick. Because you've got to change your mind. You've got to call it what God calls it, sin. Because if you don't call it sin, you have no desire to get over it. Because if you're sick, you're just sick. You've got to look for a medical, you know, give me some pill to get rid of the sickness. And we see people that will do that. You know, give me the pill that will get me over this sickness. And God's saying, change your mind about it. That's what Paul's been saying here. Change your mind about what you're going through. And we all have areas that we've mapped out to Satan. We all have areas that we're addicted to some sin. Some more than others. Some have it in their minds where they're dwelling on whatever it is that they're having trouble with. We all do. But until we're willing to say this is sin we can't conquer it through christ so as we name it as sin the holy spirit starts coming in okay now we've got the right attitude now we can come in and convict you of the sin that's when you start naming it as sin you're going to have a lot hard, a harder time taking pleasure in that sin because the holy spirit's going to be right there and saying uh you agree with me that this is sin you agreed with me to sin stop it at that time we have a choice to be obedient or disobedient but have you been there where the spirit pushes you and says you can't do this anymore and there's conviction and you go ahead and do it and there's no pleasure in it because you're so convicted that you shouldn't have done it in the first place even though you said well i'm going to do it anyway the minute we start naming it as sin the holy spirit can work in our life you'll start seeing victory. Will it be instant? No, (laughs) not in most cases. But when the Spirit's there convicting you, and you say, no, I'm not gonna do this anymore because I'm tired of the Holy Spirit convicting me, and you stop, you'll have that victory. You'll never have victory if you don't call it a sin because you have nothing to be trying to get victory over. Look at the last couple of things he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edification that it may minister grace to the hearers. Hard, hard statement. Let no corrupt communication. Literally, no vile, polluted communication. How often do we say things... <laughs> without thinking about what we say. How often is there this little dark part of it, you know, the double entente where you say something but really kind of mean something else, you know, usually related to sex is what most of that comes out to, and it's not pure. It's not holy. It's one of the things I have to get on the prisoners at times, even the ones that are claiming Christ because they're around this all the time I'm going you can't talk that way it's not right you need to talk with edification not these off-color jokes where you didn't quite go over the line but you're right there and everybody knows what you really wanted to say you know or what you were thinking about where we talk about people behind their back in the you know maybe we're sharing what's going on in, in the you know church world it's let me share this prayer request with you this person has this problem when you go into gossip. And you know, gossip can be, even if it's true, it can be gossip. Because you're destroying somebody's reputation in front of others. that doesn't need to be destroyed. If we truly love them, why would we try to tear them down among, to other people? Even with the quote unquote, this is a prayer request. So I want you to pray for them. You know, if, you need, if they need prayer, just tell them, this person needs prayer. They're struggling in some areas of their life god knows the areas are struggling in their life i don't have to go god this person such and such and such and such did such and such god already knew all he's saying god i really want you know what's wrong with this in this person's life you touch it if it's if it's a physical ailment, yes we can tell them about their broken arm their 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 cut on their head their stroke whatever it might be there's nothing wrong with that but if you're looking you gotta pray for this person there They're they're having fantasies of going out and committing adultery. There's nothing needed in that. We pray for that person. (laughs) Period. We don't try to tear one another down if we're speaking the way God does. Because God is not going to tear you down in front of other people. He's not looking to destroy your reputation with people. He's looking to build you up and to edify you. And that's what he's expecting from us. Build one another up. And it's wonderful to do. You talk about people in a, in a strong way. You say, this person is growing in Christ. Yeah. I can guarantee if you look for it, there's something good you can say about somebody. Even the most evil person has at least something you can say about them that's good. It may be hard to find, but there's something of redemption there. Other guys, God wouldn't be trying to redeem them. There's nobody who's totally evil. And Paul says minister grace minister grace give them what they don't deserve because that's what grace is God gives us grace he gives us eternal life he gives us peace he gives us everything that he is and we don't deserve it we do not deserve what God gives us well some people well I asked Jesus into my heart so what You still don't deserve everything that he's giving you. It's his grace. And this is important for us to understand. When we're dealing one with another, we are to give grace. Because nobody deserves the edification, bottom line. God is saying, give grace. Love them. Protect them. Speak good of them. Edify them. Build them up. And we all know what it's like to be around somebody who builds up and edifies and says good things about people. And we all know what it's like to be around somebody who is tearing people down, trying to destroy them. Another thing to keep in mind, and it's been said over and over, if they're saying bad things about others to you, what are they saying about you to other people? It's their habit to tear people down. If you're listening to them tear other people down, it's about a 95, 99% chance that they're tearing you down to them. Because that's what they, that is is who they are. If, if you go around somebody who's building people up and edifying them, they're probably edifying you behind, behind your, your back as well. And it's important. We as Christians are called to build one, uh, one another up. It says in verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. we've talked about being sealed sealing says that what is in the envelope or the package is genuine it is what they put in it we do it with envelopes when you write a letter to an envelope to somebody and you put it in the envelope and you seal it you're basically saying this is my letter (laughs) now it's practical it's the only way to get it through the post office but you're really saying this is the letter that I have written and what is in it is my communication the Holy Spirit seals us and says, this person is truly belonging to God because God put his spirit in us and he seals us. Nobody else is allowed to break the seal other than the addressee, which is God. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and equal speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. There's a list of things that like all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. Clamor, noise. <laughs> How often do we speak noise about one another? Just noise, just to say something, just to be speaking, and we hurt people. And the reason why he says we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, this says forgiving one another, is because God That's forgiven us. He is to pour out of us. We want to live like He is. Or we should want to live like He is because the Holy Spirit is in us. My encouragement is, talk to God. Are you living according to these verses that Paul said? If not, talk to God. Talk to Him and say, God, I need you to change me. God, I've been talking about people behind their back and tearing them down. Help me to speak godly, righteous things. God, I'm having trouble forgiving people. Help me learn to forgive. God, whatever it is that you have trouble with, ask him to change you to be more like him. And we're going to close here. But I want to challenge us. If you don't know God, today is the day to know him. Simple to know him. You admit that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We should know that. Admit to him that we deserve punishment. And truly believe it. Because until you believe you deserve punishment you're not going to be seeking the answer then admit to him that you believe that Jesus Christ lived that perfect life died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose from the dead and ask him to forgive your sins and come into your life very simple and very simple situation admit those things to God and ask him to come in and he'll come in and if you've asked him to come in come talk to me because I'd love to help people get started on their walk But beyond that, I want to challenge each one of us. Let's go before God and say, God, I want to be more like you. I want to live more like you expect me to live. It's not easy to do, but we need to do that. Lord, we come before you, and Lord, we challenge those in this room to open up more to you and become more like you through their words and their thoughts and their actions. Lord, we ask that your spirit convict them and that they will pray and ask for this to happen. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, we ask that they get into a relationship with you through the admission of their guilt, of their sins, and that we will punish those who reject your son. And we just thank you in your precious name. Amen.